Hey there, and welcome to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so glad that you joined me today. This podcast is for neurodivergence by a neurodivergent. I'm an ADHD coach with ADHD and ASD, and I am here to help. So let's spend some time together now and maybe learn a few things. Hey, ADHDers, and welcome back to another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and this week on the podcast, we have a special guest. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that I have a awesome group coming up. It is called Neurodivergent Mind and Body, and it is an all-in-one resource for all things wellness with an ADHD approach. Because many of us know that these things can help our ADHD, but our ADHD makes it hard to do those things. So when I created this group, I wanted to make sure that the other coaches that I was working with have these things in mind too. And that brings us to our guest today, Lizbeth Janelle. She's also an ADHDer and our yoga and breathwork instructor for the group. I encourage you to listen all the way through this amazing interview. We had a lot of fun and she shares a lot of great info about her journey. And if you're a visual person, uh, this video is actually up on my YouTube, which is just the ADHD lady. So enjoy. So I want to introduce everyone to an amazing woman, um, Lizbeth Janelle, and she is actually a part of the upcoming Neurodivergent Mind and Body group that uh, we have been working very, very hard on and are very excited about starting April 4th. Um, so Lizbeth, want to say hello to everybody? Yeah, hi there. I am so excited to be chatting with you on this and all things neurodivergent, <laughs> all the things. Yes, because uh, for those of you who are listening and not watching this over on YouTube, um, Lizbeth is also an ADHDer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very so, much. <laughs> so she is going to have that perspective as well to bring to neurodivergent mind and body, which is very exciting. Yes. Um, so can you tell us all a little bit about your ADHD journey? Oh gosh. So my, my ADHD journey started, well, I mean, let's be real. It started when I was much, much younger. <laughs> <laughs> when we started looking at it and when it started are two very different things. Uh, (laughs) Definitely had it all growing up. I was one of those, uh, you know what? I never made it into gifted and talented, like the GT. I was like two points away on the test. (laughs) Me too. And it drove me nuts. One point. Yes. I was like one or two points away and I was so angry. Um, but I started much, much further beyond like I was the kid who would like climb up in trees and read uh in school like after school um I would flip books upside down to like read them just be for fun like I yeah I I don't know why I thought that was fun it's not fun for me now (laughs) (laughs) but um when I actually started paying attention to it um still didn't realize it was ADHD I came up in the era of college where everyone was seeking Adderall to study. I'll be really, really honest about this. And I was like, I can't focus. That sounds great. I'm going to try that. Not still not putting together that I couldn't focus because I had ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to go get tested and surely I can fool them into giving me this medication because whatever reason. And, um, so I was on the, I will wholeheartedly admit I was on that train. 
Um, but I went to the psychiatrist and I remember now in hindsight, I can look back and laugh at this. I told him specifically about my accounting classes. I was like, I am tutoring people in the class. I have a tutor who says I know everything and yet I'm failing all the exams. And, <laughs> and it turned out, it was like, if I didn't take the exam from the teacher who wrote it, it, it was a big thing. He was like, uh, yeah, you definitely have ADHD. And I took the whole long test. So again, took the whole gamut of tests and everything. And he was like, absolutely. You have it. Here's your medication again. And then I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, got him. <laughs> Still not realizing that like, I actually had ADHD. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that was in my, you know, early twenties in college, probably my senior year or so. And, um, the medication absolutely helped, but I hated the come down off of Adderall. Like I really, really struggled with it. So in my denial of ADHD, thinking I didn't actually need the medication, I just gave up everything like completely. Um, and so <laughs> it wasn't until probably the last two years or so during COVID where I was like, oh, wait, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> whoops. I didn't trick him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe all the struggles that I've had all along, maybe there was no fooling anybody. And this was actually, uh, you know, a much, much bigger part of my life than I realized. So <laughs> I just think of, uh, that sound, that trending sound that used to exist, that it was Agatha all along. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And I was like, mm, yeah, good job, Lizbeth. Yeah. <laughs> you can't fool me. Yeah, it was, oh, geez. But yeah, so it uh, definitely coming to terms with it over the last couple of years and realizing maybe I didn't fool anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, you are a yoga and breathwork coach. So how did you get into that then along this whole pathway? So in the extreme denial of my ADHD, um, I went into the corporate world and because I was off medication, I found ways of coping to get things done and to do very, very well mm -hmm. in that world by burning myself out completely. Yeah. And the, you know, the high highs, the low lows, and just completely working myself to death. Um, at one point I took about 150 trips in two years for my job. Um, I was just work, work, work or crash, crash, crash. Mm -hmm. And, um, all the fun things that go with that emotional, emotional dysregulation, <laughs> physical health decline, um, all of those things. So, um, finally in a transition from working, I had opened up one of our company offices in Singapore. And I was transitioning over to Dubai, one of my very lovely bosses. And I hope everyone gets a boss like this at some point in their life. Um, was like, nobody email Elizabeth for two weeks. He's like, you don't need to be on. You don't need to be, nobody needs to contact you. Uh, he mail, emailed everyone. and was like, she's on vacation. Don't touch her. <laughs> like she, and which awesome. is phenomenal. Yeah. And in that time period, I went to visit a friend who had recently become a yoga teacher as uh, she lived in Spain. My first yoga class was in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I just, which in now thinking about the way my brain works with ADHD, I'm like, maybe that was actually better because I yeah. wasn't focusing on anything, but trying to follow the movements mm -hmm. and my body. 
And that was the first time I can say I had like actually reconnected to my body in, I don't know how long and the opportunity to just focus on for one hour, nothing else, but breath and movement. And I was like, what just happened? (laughs) It must've been really powerful. It was. And you know, I had tried yoga before and hated it. And this, for whatever reason, this time kind of kicked in and it was just like for, for that period of time. And so that became my routine. Actually, I was still in the corporate world, but that became my routine. Yoga was my time to shut everything off and just breathe and move. That was it. Breathe and move. And, um, and that's kind of how I discovered and fell into using this as a tool. Yeah. Um, so how do you think it impacted your ADHD, especially being unmedicated at that time? Did it help in any ways? Um, absolutely. So I think it was, and especially knowing now what I know about our nervous system, which I can go into detail on later if you want, but, um, it was the time of the day where I call it wringing out the sponge. Mm -hmm. Like I, I always say like, we've, we've got this, this sponge, every day. And if we don't continuously, there's preventative and restorative. And, you know, there's the point preventative is like consistently wringing it out so that it doesn't fill up and you can continue to add water and restorative is like, once it's fully filled up, you have to like wring it out. So I would use those practices, preventative and restorative. So for me, especially when it was kind of this preventative practice of like wringing out my sponge a little bit every day. And so I was able to kind of manage more, um, especially when it came to emotional regulation, now looking back at it and realizing how dysregulated I was in that space, Mm -hmm. um, realizing how much of an impact it had on my emotional regulation. Yeah. uh, Where my, my sponge just didn't feel the same way anymore that it used to, which was phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. And there have been tons of studies on how, you know, emotional regulation can be better regulated, um, or emotional control, um, can be better regulated through the use of things like yoga, breath work, meditation, mindfulness. Um, there's, Mm -hmm. I have a whole resource list of documents saying that. (laughs) And yeah, especially from the ADHD component too, it really did help it helps with like, I mean, obviously my brain is still running a mile a minute. Like, I mean, I was still consistently having that, but it didn't feel out of control is what yeah. I said. Like when I had those practices, it didn't, it never felt like I was, cause again, I was still unmedicated. It just didn't feel like it would like fully run amok. They were still yeah. there. It's still noisy. It's still busy in there, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just controlled chaos Yeah, <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> Yeah. coordinated it, chaos. It, yeah, it, <laughs> it just kind of made everything start to go, you know, in the same traffic flow. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question for you then, um, you know, cause this is something I've had with my own experience with like meditation and mindfulness practice. Do you find that there are moments though, where you actually get that crazy silence? Oh, like the, like the pocket of like, like nothingness. Yeah. Very, I will say once I started to realize that I wasn't going to have that the entire practice, 
Because it will not be there the whole time. It will not be there the whole practice. <laughs> it is definitely easier to access those moments because I, I feel like when you when you think that that's what meditation and that stuff is supposed to be, oh. you're constantly just looking for it and your brain just gets louder and louder and louder. And then yeah. when somebody finally told me, they're like, no, that just comes in like little moments. Like the awareness you have of getting distracted and coming back is the actual practice. And I was like, oh, Okay. So now I definitely have more of those just pockets of like, like it's just quiet. Um, they don't last long. No, (laughs) I don't like them, but they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And for me personally, I find they don't happen during like when I'm actively like doing formal practice, it happens like in moments like this, like where I can just be in the conversation with you and not be thinking about what happened right before. Now, yeah, it'll last for like 30 seconds here or there, but <laughs> yeah, they don't last extremely long, but they definitely, and with the practice, they start to come more frequently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I realized that like it was my whole 30 minute meditation, wasn't going to feel like that. <laughs> yeah. My meditations definitely changed after that. Cause I was like, Oh wait, um, it's not supposed to be silent for 30 minutes. Like that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen in anyone's brain, not just neurodivergent. That doesn't happen in anyone's brain for meditation, but yeah. And learning about the monkey mind is what changed that for me because that Mm -hmm. was part of the practice, like written by the Buddhist monks, you know, that you are going to have a (laughs) monkey that jumps from branch to branch. That's Mm -hmm. part of it. And you just need to allow the monkey to do its jumps and kind of follow it with some curiosity and say, huh, why is it going there? Exactly. (laughs) Approaching it that way, like changed everything. Well, Um, it it just gives you much more of like the, I'm not doing like, there's no right or wrong way uh to do it. I think initially when I started practicing and honestly, there's certain times where it still comes in every once in a while is like, am I doing it the right way? And am I doing this right? And I think everybody goes through that period. Um, And yeah, being like, no, I'm, uh, I'm sitting here and I'm paying attention. That's, that's, that's the only thing I have to do. That's it. That's all I have to do and just follow it. Let it go. Um, is there anything about yoga that, you know, um, how do I want to phrase this? Um, yoga versus traditional like meditation, because yoga is more movement meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, so would you say that yoga is a more helpful form of meditation for ADHDers or what are your thoughts kind of on that? I think everybody comes to the different practices in their own time. So for me, yoga was my first access to Mm -hmm. it. Um, because I think I needed that movement piece. I needed to be back in my body first. I don't necessarily think that that's everybody's first intro, because a lot of people can have a lot more aversion to movement and that can stress them out more. So I usually say like, try it all, Mm -hmm. um, is a great, is, is what I typically recommend to people. But what I do love about the movement piece of it, I call it getting my wiggles out. Like I have to get my wiggles out during the day, whether it's the gym, whether it's yoga, whatever it may be. Now for me, my practice of yoga has definitely shifted over the years. So I started out with hot power vinyasa, my ADHD, my like extremist brain at the time when I started needed intensity and mm-hmm. needed fast and powerful movement and like strength-based stuff. That's what I needed at the time. 
my practice yeah. has very much changed over time with the same way that I manage my mental health and my ADHD over time, my practice has shifted. So I usually try to tell people when they're first getting into it, I'm like, try lots. There are so many different styles, mm-hmm. try all the different styles. And it's the same exact way I have people approach breath, meet your energy where it's at. Yeah. So like, if it's your first time coming to something and you are crazy high energy and all of a sudden you're in like the slowest quietest yoga class ever. It may be the most amazing thing for you, or it can be the most challenging thing for you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you're like, all I want to do is move fast. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to meet your energy area, find something a little quicker paced, find something that, um, you know, there's so much, I will never like let, you know, poo poo on different styles of yoga. Cause I think everyone is every single style is necessary for a different reason. Mm-hmm. And, um, in that, if somebody then is low energy and struggling to like even get off the couch, a high energy class like that might be like the complete opposite. Like, absolutely, I'm not doing this. So where that gets to be met is then in something a little bit slower or something a little more gentle. So meeting yourself where you are at at the time to then shift into a different, um, and, you know, a different reset is, is what I typically recommend for people. Cause yeah. Yeah. Otherwise it can be very, it can, you don't want to wind up create, you don't want to create more stress through yoga. Yeah, <laughs> like, You don't want to create more stress. <laughs> do you have any recommendations for people who do find, especially ADHDers who find either of those practices boring? Cause that's one of the, the common complaints is that, Oh, I, yeah, you can't expect me to, to sit still and do this or do that. It's too yeah. boring. So what would you recommend to people who are at that place on their journey? So if you're an ADHD who likes a lot of like stimulation during a practice, so it's like the slowness or whatever, it's just too boring. Um, when I teach and I kind of, I'm one of those teachers where I'm like, people are going to, you're either going to love my class or not. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like there's different teachers for everybody. Like it is totally okay. If my class isn't for you, that's fine. Um, but because I am an ADHD <laughs> and partly one, because I'm an ADHD or who teaches, but also because, um, I understand that there's a lot of people who come to it feeling that way. I'm somebody who does typically do talk quite a bit during class. Mm-hmm. So whether it's cueing multiple cues or, um, literally sometimes just making jokes and having conversations during the class, keeping the stimulation going, not only in the physical body, but also allowing the mind something to attach to that isn't your mind, like running away. Yeah. Like, like, am I doing this pose? Perfect. Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Um, find you a teacher that talks a lot. If that, if that helps, like find you one now, if you're an ADHD or who finds that super distracting and you hate that, then, then find a quieter teacher. But, um, my advice to people who think it is boring is to get really, really curious too about what does boring feel like mm. as well in the practice. Yeah. So what does boring feel like in the body? What does boring feel like in the mind? Is it getting busier? Are you feeling agitated to leave a pose? Are you feeling, because if some of those things are the case, 
part of the practice isn't being able to nail a yoga pose. It's being able to observe that energy and those feelings in the moment. So if we can observe and be like, why am I bored? What do I feel like is boring? Um, then we can resource to see how to meet the energy where it's at then. Yeah. So then that's when you get to kind of really start to dig in and discover like, oh, well then what do I need? Mm-hmm. What do I need? If I'm feeling agitated. If I'm feeling bored, if I, what do, what do I need? And maybe I need a different type of yoga. Maybe I need a different teacher. Maybe I need to go get my wiggles out and then do yoga. Maybe I need yeah. like that resource piece after that. So is, is kind of what I encourage people. I'm like, awesome. You get bored. That's so cool that you noticed that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, one of my favorite questions to ask is why? Yeah. Why? That's something that I ask all the ADHDers that I know would work with and see that are struggling is, you know, ask yourself, why is this a struggle? Um, Mm -hmm. Because that really can lead to those types of solutions, which is great. But the other thing is too, um, this is just like on the ADHD end, it can be helpful to be bored. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not bad to be bored because what it teaches us then is how to handle those other boring moments. So Mm -hmm. just because something may start out as boring with, you know, one of these types of practices for wellness, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, breath work, whatever, um, that may actually help you in other areas too. Absolutely. I somehow made it onto gentle parenting TikTok. I don't have children. (laughs) (laughs) It's what I needed. And TikTok's like, here you go. (laughs) We're healing your inner child. The algorithm's so smart. But anyways, somehow I made it onto gentle parenting TikTok. And one of the, one of the, one of the uh, creators on there was saying her daughter consistently tells her I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And she's like, I could solve it for her. I could give her a bunch of things to do. And her daughter, if I, if I remember correctly, I think her daughter might be ADHD or something. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be mixing up my algorithm, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, either way, she tells her, she's like, that is so great. I can't wait to see what you do and what you, um, what you do to fill that time. I can't wait to see how, uh, how you get to, how you get to entertain yourself now or something like she gets really excited for her when she's bored and encourages her to like, do you think, get curious and do things she loves. I'm like, ah, I love love that. that. I know. And I was like, I need that. Thanks TikTok. (laughs) I'm bored. She's like, I can't wait to see what you do with that. And she's like, she comes up with the most creative things and like always, you know, has, does a project or something in the middle. I'm like, ah, that's so cool. I need, and that's exactly what she said. She was like, it helps her in the other times in her life when she's not going to be stimulated and there's nobody that's going to go and do something that's going to stimulate her. And I can't be the rescuer. Somebody else can't be, she has to learn that on her own. And I was like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the thought process behind, um, my two, low dopamine to one high dopamine hack that that's actually like the reason that ADHD TikTok like took me in and accepted me (laughs) was that video like almost two years ago. Oh my goodness. Um, But it's the idea that, you know, you try to put in more of those tasks that take time to get to that pleasure center, that 
release that dopamine that you're you're looking for because you know yeah. TikTok, TV, like computer games, video games, whatever, they all release that dopamine really instantaneously. So, mm-hmm. and we have at the tips of our fingers all the time this resource for that stimulation, yeah. but it goes away just as quickly. So if we can find a balance and incorporate more of those like arts and crafts and reading and just going outside doing meditation and yoga and breath work and all of these other low dopamine things, low dopamine doesn't have to mean low pleasure. It Mm -hmm. just means that it takes longer to get to that result. And when we can be comfortable with that, it makes a lot of those other things that we kind of have to do that we don't want to do like dishes and laundry, Mm -hmm. it can actually help make those not be as boring too. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's interesting you say that because that's what I tell people. I was like, how we breathe is how we live life. So Mm -hmm. if like we are sitting there and we're like, I'm bored, I'm bored. I can't breathe. I can't. (laughs) I need something else. I need something else. That's such a great observation. So when you're like, what about when people get bored with practices? I'm like, yeah. Do you get bored with like regular tasks too? (laughs) (laughs) This is a super easy, low risk way of practicing here so that you can do the things there. So exactly what you're saying. Like, yeah, Yeah. like translates over, uh, for sure. Cause yeah, I'm like how we do those things is how we do life. And yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to hone skills. (laughs) So let's talk about you a little more. Um, what is your training? I know you shared how you got to, you know, the practice, but, um, I know that you have a lot of really great background in the education side of it. So I would love to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about my kind of, yeah, how I came to it in my job between Singapore and Dubai. Um, when I was in Dubai, I kind of realized that, um, I wanted to step away from the corporate world a little bit and being in the oil and gas industry, it's very cyclical and it kind of gave me the little push that I needed to, when the market went down, they said, we want you to move back to Houston. Funny enough, I wound up back in Houston anyway, but at the time (laughs) I was like, nope, um, this is my time to kind of, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it thank you for the offer. And, uh, I'm going to go my own way for a little while. And I had already started teaching yoga, um, and really realized that I wanted to dive into a lot of the other pieces that made up the productivity, the mindfulness, like how does this actually get used in day-to-day life? And so I dug in my initial training, um, was in hot power vinyasa. Cause that's what I liked. And, um, I remember I started teaching in Dubai cause one of the, one of the studio managers was like, genuinely, this is how it went. It was, I just finished my training. She goes, great. We have a teacher leaving. Do you want to teach? I'd never taught a class before in my life. And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no ADHD and, impulsivity there, right? <laughs> exactly. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm so scared. Um, but I had started teaching. So my initial training was in hot power vinyasa, but in the methodology that was taught, there was quite a bit of like leadership methodology taught in that. Um, so it was like leadership through yoga. Um, and I've since moved away from that organization some, but a lot of kind of that, what happens on your mat is what reflects off your mat Mm -hmm. mentality shifted into a lot of my trainings or into a lot of my, a lot of my teaching. So I initially came at it in that, in that format. And then when I moved to Houston, 
I got involved with organizations that were fighting human trafficking. And I realized that this same, I wanted to extend this, but I wanted to do it in a very uh, more intentional way with the people that I was teaching. I began teaching survivors of human trafficking. I began teaching um, service providers, people who were working with survivors. Um, and so I started to dive into a lot of trauma-informed training as well. And that's when I started understanding a lot more about the nervous system and what happens to our nervous system. And the fact that everyone has experienced some form of trauma <laughs> in yeah. their life. It's something like 98%. I'm like, if we really want to say 98%, let's just say hundred <laughs> percent. Um, and especially now after the global pandemic, after the pandemic, but, um, so I really started digging into that. So I am a 200 hour ERYT, um, which means that I can actually train other yoga teachers and I'm a 500 hour RYT. So I've done lots of trainings along the way. <laughs> and then, um, and then I also am a level two trauma informed yoga teacher. Um, and then I, in digging further, <laughs> because <laughs> in true hyper-focus, <laughs> in true hyper-focus fashion, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I know everything about everything. <laughs> and I still will never know everything about everything in this realm. Um, and it continues to fascinate me every day. I went and got a master's degree in positive leadership strategy and transformation from a school in Madrid, i.e. Madrid, um, that really explained how mindfulness and positive psychology when implemented into uh, organizations can really effectively transform the way we work and live as well. So I went back and kind of really dug into that. So that was a combination of like varying facets of positive psychology and, um, applied positive psychology. And then also, um, a huge component of mindfulness and embodied leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, funny enough, there was actually a big yoga component too, that <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> So yeah, I, I aced that format, that one, but, <laughs> but it was a really interesting program that implemented it all the science behind everything that I had been teaching and doing. It really dug into the science and the organizational applications. Um, and then in the process, once more in getting really nerdy about it all, um, I then did another very intensive eight month breathwork training as well with pause breath work. Um, and it's a trauma informed methodology, which really resonated with me. Um, because I believe just like with anything else, when we move into breath or movement, we, there are aspects that if we still do too much too soon, and when, especially as ADHD years, we're like, we want to do it all now and really fast. Oh no, we're not all or nothing. Yeah. I've had so many people now they're like, I didn't get the like major, like hallucination dopamine with breath work and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, give yourself some time. It's okay. Like you can have that and it might not happen every time. It's so funny. Um, so I did a very long intensive, um, pause breathwork training and I've been doing privates and some group sessions with that ever since as well. And, uh, the breathwork piece is just, I will say has been like the cherry on top of all of my practices. Um, I had to go on my journey to get to that one and, um, incorporating all of those things together is now my 
absolute favorite way to teach anything, anything to teach anything, whether it's in organizations or to individuals or to survivors, um, blending kind of all of those pieces together is what uh, it just lights me up at the end of the day. <laughs> well, and you, um, you mentioned, uh, you know, working with groups. Um, so I think that's a good segue into talking about our group a little bit. What are yeah. you most excited uh, about with our group? Oh, what am I most excited? Um, <laughs> dumping my entire toolbox into the group. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm most excited about. No, I'm most excited about um, getting to know what resonates and doesn't resonate in a virtual format with the group. So I think one of my main focuses is creating things that are very accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And that changes from group to group. Like it just does. And so I'm really excited to see what begins to resonate and what doesn't so that I can curate things that are really, that people are really able to apply in the moment. Um, because I do have a very, very large toolbox of resources. I do have a lot of hours behind me. And so being able to then curate an experience that somebody can use when they really, truly need it, Mm -hmm. um, curate, you know, tools and help people build their own toolbox of resources. That's what I'm most excited about. I'm most excited about just adding to those, adding to those things. I, I talk a lot about like pause, resource, respond, And that resource piece is probably my favorite because I go to my resource toolbox all the time. What do I need? What do I need? So I want, when people ask themselves that question, what do I need? I want to be able to give as many of the tools that I have in my arsenal to them to be able to select that and to educate on why those tools work. Like what is the science behind it? What is this doing to my body? So that when they do look at what they need, they can be like, oh, I know that this does this. Yeah. Um, And then the other piece that I'm excited about just with like the live sessions is just to like bring a moment to actually enact some of that. So actually give space to people in the group, a moment to access those things. So I can educate and give it to you all day long. And then the piece where you actually get to join me is the piece where you have a moment in your day for yourself that you get to use some of these. Yeah. So yeah, those are kind of the things I'm most excited about. <laughs> now, how about for, um, the, the skeptics, what is your favorite uh, thing to teach to people who are skeptical about going into these types of wellness practices? Yeah. Um, I say embrace it. <laughs> um, I actually really like the skeptic skepticism. So one of funny enough, I'll tell a quick story on this a really quick story. Um, I really do love the skeptics. So (laughs) I do a lot of mindfulness and organizations, which people are like, okay, that sounds like ridiculous. Like a lot of people are like, oh, it sounds like woo woo is like kind of the word they Uh use, like really woo woo stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's break it down. So, (laughs) but I had a guy in an airport. This was actually on my way to interview to Madrid to interview for the program that I was joining. And I was, he asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm going to be doing this program and it implements this and this and this. And he's like, oh, it's all hogwash or something. I can't even remember the word he used. Poppycock. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting that you say that. And, um, you know, tell me, tell me why. Like, again, I love the skepticism. And he was talking about, oh, well 
how he owns his own organization and his own and his salespeople. And he doesn't care what their balance is. Like, as long as they're making him money, he doesn't care if they're like overworked or whatever. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I said, well, you know, for, if that's, if that's true, if you don't care that they're overworking themselves, like if you, you know, don't care that productivity levels can, can lower in that way or whatever, like I totally get that. Well, no, I mean, I care about them. I want them to be happy. (laughs) Is what he says. And so Mm. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like, see, so you do care. You do want them to be happy. And we just started to have this beautiful conversation around, what creating that balance is and that, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing mentality. It's not all of a sudden you dove in and this is now your, you don't have to do what I did mm-hmm. <laughs> where you dive in and then all of a sudden it becomes your entire life. Um, but by the end of the conversation, I remember him saying, thank you for giving me a new perspective. And, um, for not arguing with me and, um, I'm going to think about this. That's and awesome. so my goal in anything I do is if you're like, I'm just going to think about this, I'm just going to like, think about it a little bit more. And I love to have discussions on what you were skeptical about. Like, let's talk. I, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know that I can be wrong on. And I love finding those out too. Like, does it hurt a little bit sometimes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I love hearing about that and working through and being like, okay, what are you skeptical about? What is this? Oftentimes it's that there hasn't been a practice that they found that feels good for them. Yeah. And that's where that getting curious piece, the, like, if I can just go, that's interesting. That's interesting if you can just go, that's interesting. Let me try a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so skepticism is bred from curiosity and, yeah. but it sometimes goes into the hard no side, but if we can embrace the curiosity piece yes. and just stay, you don't have to go to the yes side. If you can just go to the maybe side, <laughs> <laughs> have that openness and does have the openness that comes with skepticism really because like you've you've already kind of done it and you're like I don't know about that there's Mm -hmm. still something in there that's like but maybe yeah then if you can just stick with that a little bit and try a bunch of the different practices I'm going to offer down regulating tools I'm going to offer stimulating tools um, different types of breath, different types of movement. Um, just see if there's anything that feels good for you. I love that. Just maybe peace. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I do think that is going to be one of the challenges that, you know, some people who sign on may, may be facing is that all or nothing, Um, But that's also why the way that we have this group set up is, you know, you are getting some amazing instructors, but also, hi, I'm an ADHD coach. (laughs) So So that's what one of my days of focus is going to be on is the executive dysfunction of how do I even start? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you may really want to do yoga practice, but how, how does that even begin? Like, I can't get off my couch to do the other stuff I need to do. How am I going to go do yoga? So oh, interestingly enough, I will have some chair sessions too. So I teach chair yoga and I teach teachers how to teach chair yoga. And so if you have zero desire to get off your couch, 
there will be chair sessions. <laughs> um, a lot of my classes with a lot of my survivors are, you know, varying levels of interest and engagement in classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've gotten very good at teaching half a class on a floor, half a class standing, half a class, like in the chairs, like people to that are in lots of different formats. So yeah, if you can't get off your couch, then there will be a session for that as well. (laughs) There will be a bed bed session. Like when you get up in the morning, like stretching, like in bed, if getting out of bed is hard. Um, So there's going to be, and I will have everything very clearly labeled to like the energy level that it matches. Um, So yeah, if you can't get out of bed, can't get off the couch, there will be sessions for you still. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love that. Um, yeah. And the, the other thing that we'll be kind of working on, on that ADHD side is the all or nothing part of it. You know, how do we find balance? How do we do just a few minutes to begin with? Because we're allowed to do that. And sometimes it's as simple for breaking all or nothing is someone telling you you're allowed to do just a little bit. It doesn't have to be diving straight in, but that's one of the things that, you know, on my end, I'm going to be bringing in to help everyone kind of work through the, oh, well, I really, 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 really want to do yoga, but I don't have the time to do it 24 seven. Well, no, you don't have to. Exactly. Um, I always tell people when they come to my class too, I'm like, if your yoga today is like doing like one pose. If your yoga today is just listening and breathing and laying on a yoga mat, then you have done yoga today. Yeah. Like, you have still done yoga today. I have walked into friends classes before and I'm like, I'm going to be on my mat and just crying. <laughs> like, and that's my, but I need to be here. <laughs> I need to be here listening. So my yoga is going to be in the back of the class crying. And she's like, sweet, go for it. <laughs> like, literally, That is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> like I wasn't lying. Like I maybe did a pose or two, but for the most part, I just laid on the back of the mat crying. And that was my yoga for that day. Like because that is also yoga. Like it's, it is meeting yourself where you're at and moving. And so, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to dive in and do it all. You can, you can take a minute. You can just listen and lay and in my case, cry, but yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, one other question that I, I do have though, about approaching things from a different perspective, um, is you had mentioned earlier that there are some folks, and I definitely know this from personal experience too, that um, they might have an aversion to moving their bodies. Um, so what do you kind of approach that with? Um, what have you found to be most helpful? Because I'm sure we're going to have a few people in our group that yeah. really do have that struggle. And one thing that we've all, all of us coaches have talked about is curating a space that feels safe for all bodies. Um, that it is not, we are not a place that does any kind of body shaming. In fact, we encourage you to, you know, connect with your body and meet yourself where you're at and love that version of you and who you are authentically right now. Um, so when that translates to the movement side, um, you know, what is your perspective there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you said some of it right there is what's right for you. What is right for you? Um, now the way that I will teach as well, um, I, for those of you who can't see me, I am a plus size yoga teacher <laughs> as well. So, uh, accessibility in how we move our bodies, especially in the space of yoga, um, is extremely important to me. Um, so it will be a true all levels class. Um, we will be teaching, I will describe everything 
and cue everything in a manner that you can extend and express further if you choose. And you can also modify or come down from anything in any way that you choose. My number one rule when I teach is that you do what feels right for you. Your body comes first. So in every single class, I start all of my classes with the number one rule is your body comes first. My words come second. Your body comes first at all times. Um, And like I said, I will teach um, as accessible as I can. And I love feedback as well. So it is a fully open space since it is a virtual group. I won't necessarily know what everyone's accessibility points are. And it's an open space for people to share and tell me as well. Or I am an open space too. If you're like, that didn't feel really inclusive today, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, great. That is good feedback to have as well. So part of being inclusive is being able to listen to the feedback that you're given as well. So I want to encourage anybody, if moving has been something that has been intimidating or challenging, this is definitely a space to come in and just try and also communicate with me, communicate with me on what does feel good, because then I do more of that as well. So things are when the group is saying, Hey, we really liked this, or we didn't like this. That means I get to do more of that. So you have full permission to not do what doesn't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) You have full permission to not do any, um, another thing I always say in classes, this is the one hour of your day. You don't actually have to listen to anything I say. (laughs) (laughs) I am your yoga teacher. I am not your boss. So if something doesn't feel good, guess what? You don't have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I encourage you not to do it. If it doesn't feel good, please don't continue. So it is a space where we are very, very open. And again, I will teach from accessibility levels as much as possible. You will know when sessions are geared towards chairs. You will know when something, um, is going to include maybe something that it may feel a little bit more challenging to certain, you know, to certain levels. Um, all of that will be very, very, um, transparent as much as I, as much as I can be on that. So, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer the question? Absolutely. <laughs> it absolutely did. I anything. Did I make sense? <laughs> I well, and just, um, just to add on just so that those of you who are listening, um, you know, or watching, <laughs> um, you know, have this opportunity to kind of learn about this group a little bit more. I know I talked about it in my last episode, but just to reiterate, um, you know, you are getting three phenomenal coaches. Um, you know, we all understand the neurodiversity and how that plays a role in the different things that we'll be teaching and working with you all on, um, as well as, you know, you're getting access through live instruction at least once a week with each coach. So not only are we going to be putting things up on those days, you know, with other videos, with other graphics or other parts of our toolboxes, um, you know, but in addition to that on our days, you're also getting that live instruction piece. So that's an opportunity for you to directly interact with the coach too, and to share those things that, Hey, I really loved what we just did in this live instruction today. That was amazing. Um, but if you don't get to be on that live, the live's still going to be existing in the group. And if you really did love it, 
and you want to do that again tomorrow morning before there's another live instruction, then you can absolutely replay it because everything is going to stay within the group. All of the, the resources that you're learning and getting um, are all right there. So that's really the focus of this is to create that self-paced toolkit for you to have access to how do I you know, incorporate wellness into my neurodivergent mind and body. Yeah. And absolutely. Yeah. I know. And I encourage you to like, as ADHDers, sometimes it becomes the last thing that we want to do. <laughs> and it's one of those things that when you do make it the first priority, somehow you don't have to manage it as much. It seems yeah. work at the beginning it seems like work, but once it's there, I promise, I promise it is, it is less, less effort in the long run. It, it yeah. is. And, but I, I know, I know so deep in my body, how hard it is to like jump into that start when it feels hard at first. Um, I do, I get it. And I promise the other side of it feels better when, when you prioritize your well being, when you prioritize your wellness, um, the other aspects do things just feel better. Will it solve all your life's problems? No, but (laughs) (laughs) will people still be rude sometimes? Yes. (laughs) But, but science has proved that it helps. It helps. And think it does help dissipate some of that. (laughs) Oh, that wrung out sponge feeling where things feel so much more hard. Yeah. I, I honestly think that, you know, the way that I've incorporated some of these practices for myself is a huge reason as to why, you know, I'm able to manage a lot of my symptoms unmedicated. Um, because, you know, and that's my personal experience. Everyone is different and everyone, you know, my listeners know that I am not anti-medication at all. My, My partner is Medicaid because that's what he needs. I'm not able to take a stimulant because of other medical things. So, you know, for me, the non-stimulants didn't do what I really needed it to do necessarily. So these other tools have been how I help to manage that. Um, and everyone is different and unique, but if we can combine a lot of these things then we get even closer to that end result that we're all looking for. It was the same with me. Um, I went off of, well, I, I haven't done stimulants in a long time, but I went on other non-stimulant medication and it, it wasn't enough to get me where I felt like I needed to go. So yeah, supplementing with these practices is what balances me out. Mm-hmm. I have to kind of yeah combine the two. I have to find the combination yeah. of the blend that kind of gets me there. So and you got to meet yourself where you're at. You meet yourself where you're at. Exactly. Well, <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I'm very much looking forward to working together in, in this amazing group that we've been building here. Um, any, any last words that you have to share with the listeners today? Oh, I can't wait. Um, I can't wait to meet you guys in the group. I, I really can't. I think it's going to be so much fun and um, just getting to know what you guys need and want and however I can help 
to do that is what truly makes me happy. Like I always say, if you can just leave feeling a little bit better than when you came, then I've done my job. So that's all I'm excited for is just helping you feel a little bit better than when you got there. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, And for those of you listening at home, again, neurodivergent mind and body starts on April 4th. Uh, That will be our first day of live instruction and info blasting all of the amazing tools for you guys. Um, You can sign up over at the ADHDlady.org slash services, I believe is what it's under. It's under my services tab. It might say classes for the backslash. I, uh, in ADHD fashion, did not write it down in front of me. So there you go. Um, But if you at least go to my website and press on services, then you will find neurodivergent mind and body. And we're doing an introductory rate of just $100. That gets you access to everything for the entire month of April. Um, It's a one-time payment. Um, So if there is any confusion, you know, that that's, it's just the one flat rate. Um, so we are really, really excited and, um, especially to provide this all in one resource, because that's the thing, like this is as ADHD friendly as it gets. You can go and take individual, you know, journeys with all of these different pieces, but we're giving it to you in one spot to make it as friendly as we can. Um, you know, and also I know some of my listeners are also autistic as well as ADHD, and that's something we're conscious of throughout this process as well. Um, so, you know, there's definitely going to be access for neurodivergent minds in general, and it's not, you know, we're not trying to exclude anybody. We're trying to make this inclusive and to just provide those resources the best that we can. So, Uh, I hope you guys check it out and sign up and see us on April 4th, because we have a a lot of great things to teach you all. And I want to thank you again, Lizbeth, for being here today. Um, This was a great back and forth. I loved it. Thank you so much. And thank you to my listeners for being here for another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. And again, if you are interested in signing up for this incredible wellness group, please check out the ADHDlady.org under the services tab. The group is called Neurodivergent Mind and Body, and it begins April 4th. So just to recap what you get from the group, for the introductory rate of just $100 for the entire month, you get four live instructions a week, as well as tons of informational graphics and videos that coordinate with the different wellness practices that each of these three wonderful uh, specialized coaches are teaching. You know, you get to work with Lizbeth, who you just heard that incredible interview from, who has utilized yoga and breath work to help her own ADHD journey. You get to work with me. I'll be helping with the executive dysfunction side of things. It's actually what we go over day one is here are some of the roadblocks that you might be facing. Let's talk about how to knock them down. And then, of course, the meditation and mindfulness side. And then we have Holly, who is going to be giving tons of great perspectives on especially that hypermobile movement. So don't forget to check it out. And thank you guys again for tuning in to another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. Please go press that like button, subscribe, and comment with any thoughts you have on other future episodes that you'd like to see or interviews you'd love to hear. And you can always email the ADHDlady at gmail.com with additional feedback too or something you'd like to hear about. But thank you again for joining me today. This is Amanda signing off.